But somebody invited me. I'm here. I don't know what's going to happen, but hang on with us and we'll take the ride. Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. We got some shout outs to do. Nick Espinosa, seven year security fanatics. Brandon Straussy, three years at Inmar Intelligence. Mike Schaffer, three years at Upwork. Satrania Smith, how you doing? Satrania, two years at Suzy. Lorena Morales, an additional gig as an advisor at RevBrains. Isabel Kent, promoted to Chief Executive Officer at Philly Startup Leaders. Lisa Coltoon, four years at Modus. Aaron Sharga, one year at Oracle. Paul Hughes, one year at Kansas Department of Commerce. And then, of course, we have some happy birthdays. John Switergell. Abby Barahama, Patty Bruno, John Turnbull, Allison Bourne, Wojo Krupa, and Jim Sulia. Another spin around the globe. Enjoy, guys. Liz Hyman, welcome to the Sassels. Thanks for coming on board with us today. Oh, so glad to be here. Hey, tell us your background. I mean, you got a, a sales consulting company. You've been in the business a while. From my five minutes of research, I, I saw you did some of the, uh, you handled the uh, Asia side of things for, uh, was it Miller Hyman? Is that true? That's true. So, so here's, here's the background. Here's the scoop. As the reason I'm a sales consultant is because I was, uh, unlucky happenstance of birth, Steve Hyman is my dad. And so I grew up in the world of sales and thus, is the reason I ended up as the as the director of Asia Pacific at 30 years old. And and it, it's actually kind of funny story if you want to hear it, because oh, I was working on my graduate work and I was trying to solve the mysteries of international trade and U.S.-Japanese uh, negotiations and public opinion and all that kind of really intense stuff that I was loving. And my dad called me and said, are you done fooling around yet? with that dissertation. And I said, what? And he goes, look, we got a problem. We have an Asia Pacific division that is losing $200,000 a year and we need somebody to fix it. And you understand Asia Pacific because you've studied it. You know, Miller Hyman, we know you're, you can do this, just come and do this. And I'm like, um, okay. Had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely no idea. But what's <laughs> really cool is we were on track. We had a million dollars my first year. Um, and we we're on track for 5 million, you know, I had it all set up. So that was really cool, but it was, that it was not the way you expect to get a job. Right. Well, first of all, it's very cool by your dad. Uh, and I had so many more questions on that, but, uh, what was the thing that you like, what did you fix or did you have to spend time to observe? Like, what was the, cause that's a, you went into a turnaround situation, right? When it, right. As a 30 year old with independent contractors who had been selling longer than I had been alive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like I was going in and telling these guys what to do because it was not going to happen. So the first thing I had to do was go in and convince them that they they should listen to me. The second thing I had to do was to convince them that we had two other programs besides strategic selling, which they could be selling. And they're like, yeah, we don't like conceptual selling. I'm like, but I love conceptual selling. Let me run it for you. So I ran it with them and they're like, yeah, this is a really cool program. And then I ran leader training with them. And they're like, yeah, this is a really cool program. I said, okay, can we sell three programs instead of one? That'll triple our revenue. 
And then I went out and found um, more independent contractors throughout Asia Pacific. Um, we had a guy in Japan who wasn't really doing anything. We added someone new. You know, it was kind of adding new people, but it was also going around to our biggest clients, Hewlett Packard and Coca-Cola around Asia Pacific and rebuilding those relationships. So I walked into, here's another crazy story. I walked into the vice president of sales at Coca-Cola Japan. And when you're that guy, you think you're pretty important. So I flew to Japan specifically to meet with him. I mean, I'd gone to Australia, but the flight from Australia to Japan is no minor feat, right? So I get there and his, his secretary at the time looked at me and said, you have 15 minutes. And I went, oh no, what am I going to do? So I, a couple deep breaths, walked in, Hajime Mashde, which is it's nice to meet you and the whole thing. And I handed out my card to him, which is you hold it up and hand it out with two hands and he threw his card on the desk, which is like the biggest insult. And I'm like, okay. And he never asked me to sit down until like 10 minutes into our conversation. So I'm standing there at his desk, holding my card out in front of me, like a 15 year old. Right. And I looked at him and I said, look, I'm here to figure out how to make things work for you. So right now, clearly they're not working and you need some help. So I'm here to figure out what's not working, why it's not working, how we get you so that these programs are actually delivering the results you want. 45 minutes later, a cup of tea and a nice comfy chair. And he's got me meeting with his senior teams for, uh, you know, 7-Eleven, which is the biggest deal, the biggest opportunity they have in Japan. So it was, it was, that was my really first, oh my God, moment in sales. (laughs) Now dealing, doing business in Asia, I mean, that's obviously a whole different uh, culture what are, if if you're going to go do business in, in Asia, what are the, the couple things that you need to know before you go go in there? Because that ain't the, you know, North America. That's a whole different ballgame. What do you need to know? Well, first of all, Asia, is, when you're talking about Asia Pacific, you're talking about Australia and New Zealand. You're talking about Singapore. You're talking about Japan. You're talking about Hong Kong. You're talking about China, Korea. They're all different. It's not like you can walk in and say, we do business this way. Um, and I think things have changed a lot, but I think there was also for a long time, the belief by the American companies that they could have a partner in Asia who would be the same kind of partner that we would have in Europe. But what a lot of companies discovered was that those Asian companies didn't have the same belief systems. And so they, um, they got, had all the connections and at some point they broke off those relationships and Will said, we'll just sell our own computers and printers and whatever, to our own clients that we have here because you never made the effort to come in and work with us. So one of the keys to doing business in Asia and really anywhere is that you have a presence there and it's a real presence and that people speak the language. You put a VP in there, that guy speaks, that person speaks the language, understands the culture. So it's not like we're just going to put a fake person here who's going to sit here and drink coffee while you guys run the business. And, And I think it's really about being partners. Well, they really want to figure out if they like you as a per- person first, right? Um, like fan, not family, but you know, they want to know if you're a jerk. Yeah, they really don't want to work with people they can't trust. Yeah, um, and they want to know that you're at least as smart as they are. So, if you haven't taken the time to understand their culture, or if you haven't taken the time to understand how they do things, how they negotiate, you know, how they make decisions, you're going to look like an idiot most of the time and you're not going to have any respect. So if you're going to another country, 
particularly throughout Asia, it doesn't matter. Africa, South America, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. You you go and un you understand the culture before you walk in the door and you, any, you give them the respect they deserve. Any any tips on uh, jet lag? Did you ever put on the pajamas? or <laughs> Those no. flights are brutal. It is, especially when you're going that direction, right? So if you're headed to Japan, you're up at 4 a.m. And and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. It's 4 a.m., you're wide awake, and you just you just live with it. You do something useful in the morning, drink your coffee, and, and work on something until the world opens up. I, I don't yeah. know any secrets. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I just, you know, every time they hand out those pajamas, I'm like, well, I don't, first of all, I don't know if they'll fit. It. Number two, that's too... That's, that's too weird okay so miller hyman all right your your, your dad uh started the company what what's the background of miller like how did that start before i get into you because i want to oh, kind of get into that has nothing to do with me but what i will tell you i know bob miller, bob miller and steve hyman met each other at a company called kepner trigo and um Many years later, they were both doing different things. And Bob had started this company and he called my dad and, you know, I wasn't there or I was 13 when it happened. So, yeah, yeah. But, you know, called my dad and said, Hey, I have this thing going on. Come be a part of it. And dad went and he went to the first meetings and you can hear him say this and he's watching what Bob's doing. And he goes, people pay for this. And Bob <laughs> goes, yeah. And he goes, all right. And so they turned it into a program that was repeatable and, and anybody could teach and they started hiring independent contractors, but at the very beginning, and I think that happens for a lot of us who are sales consultants, like there are days I get up to do what I'm supposed to do the programs that I've created. And I think, do they really need me to do this? Like this, yeah. is, you know, and they do, people need you to walk them through this stuff, but um, that's how it started. So and then I'll tell you a secret. Nobody else knows. All right, let's go breaking here. Uh, and that is that Dan Bob started the company, but the person who turned it into a $26 million a year venture was Diane Hyman, my stepmom. So they were the founders and they were the, they created the content, but she put the processes in place that turned it into something sellable and something that made a lot of money. So that's, everybody thinks it was Bob and Steve, but really she's the one that, that did it. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's an America story and it's small business story that got to be a bigger business story. And you're, you, you grew up in it and you had to go to Asia and, you know, it's a question of, you know, did you have authority or influence? You know, why are they going to listen to you? Well, because my dad started the company or here's the background that I have. How did that work for you when you went in there? Like, how did you earn their trust for them to listen to you? Well, so first of all, I spent um, six years in Japan doing research. So I was very familiar with Japanese culture, which helped me understand a little bit about some of the other Asian cultures. They're different, but it, there was an understanding. So I learned really early on that how to be polite and how to be seen and heard. So one of the things I learned when I was in Japan, and this has nothing to do with selling, except that I learned how to be myself and still be respectful. So I was never going to get right all the levels of formality. And at one point I said, I'm just not doing it. So I'm going to be the American graduate student who speaks Japanese well enough for them to understand in totally informal, simple words. And they laughed and they loved it. They, right. And so when I learned to sell, 
that sort of went with me. I don't have to be anybody else. I need to be myself. I need to be clear. I need to be understandable. I need to know what I'm talking about and people will respect me. And, and the other critical piece, whether you're in Japan or anywhere else, is caring about them, asking the right questions, being sincere, being honest. And, and those things earn you credibility right off the bat. Look, I don't know all the answers for you. Let's talk about it. Let me see if I can figure out how to fix this for you. And that was where, that's really the basis of what I learned at Miller Hyman and later brought to what I was doing. So what did you transfer over to, to your uh, business? Like what are the, the tenants, the pillars that really stuck out for you? Because, you know, they have their way of doing things and then you have your tweak. What is your tweak? Well, so the difference between what I do and what they do is they had, diff- uh, here's a process to do this and a process to do this and a process to do that. And what I said is, look, there's a whole sales operating system that needs to be put in place in order for an organization to grow and scale. And this is really important for SaaS companies. So we're here, we get to the meat of it. If you go in and you just start haphazardly hiring people, suddenly what you have is more chaos and even more chaos and even more chaos. And until you put that foundational stuff in place, and it wasn't just the stuff from the programs, but the stuff I learned watching my stepmom run the business is those processes around sales are really important. And, and that you really have to understand who your market is so that you can set all those systems and processes up so that they work right. Um, and I think the biggest thing for Miller Hyman that I took with me, obviously the part about multiple buyers and complex sales, that never goes away, but the power of the funnel. So when I went to work for Miller Hyman, I was 30 years old, walk into these guys and like, we're going to start doing funnel reviews. Right. You can imagine the look on their face. Right. But when we started doing them and I started doing them the way I was taught to do them, that every funnel review is a positive experience and that it's an opportunity for the salesperson to talk through what's going on with them and for me to identify what resources they need to be successful. So this is not a, you know, beating up on you session. This is not a you're in trouble session. This is great. What do we got to do to get to our number together? And it told it, you know, when I teach companies to do that, the result is it is really powerful. Now you're talking about uh, SaaS companies, and generally you got a founder that gets it going, and then you know they're the number one salesperson, and then the Peter principle kicks in, and you know they need help. Uh, how does a SaaS company build itself? from the ground up? What are some of the things that you see? Like what's the scenario? That should happen. So here's the first thing is I'm an economist by training. So I did my graduate work in international political economy. So when I talk to engineers, I get it. They tend not to be extroverts. They tend to see everything as a process. And when they see sales, they think it is somehow outside this process that they use for everything else. They think it's this magical, mythical thing that happens in a black box. So stuff gets dropped in the top and stuff comes out the bottom and no one knows what happens in the middle, right? And they, that makes them anxious and nervous and uncomfortable because it, they're not used to things being a mystery, right? Engineering is not a mystery. And so, and even if you're talking about people who are doing other kinds of things, it, they come up against the same thing. So the, the first thing and the most obvious is this is a process like anything else. There's a process and certain standards and certain metrics need to be set up in place 
before you start hiring salespeople and making up a sales process and doing nonsense, right? So the very first thing is what are what are the parameters that these people are going to work in? Who's my ideal customer? Who don't we want to work with? Where are we positioned in the marketplace? What's our value proposition? Who are our buyers? What's the language we use to talk to each of those buyers that's relevant to them? Before you do anything else, you have to begin to know the answers to those things because those are the, those are the parameters that they work within. And then you build the process. We do this step first. We make sure this happens. Then this happens and this happens. And it happens because now I can track it. I can see just like I can see uh, you know, to-do lists for my engineers. I can watch and track the progress. So this is the this is the power of the CRM, but only if it's set up properly. Well, technology is supposed to speed up a process, and if you don't have a process, then you're just have you just start buying products, and then you have this Frankenstack, and you know yeah. you're, you know all and this even more chaos and more and right? more chaos. So. So, so when the founder is looking at scale, right? They, you know, they want to increase results. What are some of the mistakes that you've seen that you've gone in and corrected? Well, the, the first mistake is hiring the wrong people. So founders, again, because it's this mythical thing, they don't understand. They, um, they hire, they tend to hire the wrong people and they make the wrong promises. So they hire their first salespeople and they say, oh, the first salesperson, they say, okay, you're going to get to be the chief sales officer. Okay. Your first salesperson is not a chief sales officer. Your first salesperson is a seller who's very dynamic and know, has done this before. They know how to do it. They know what needs to happen. And they don't need a lot of guidance. That is not going to be your chief sales officer later on. This is what I call a cowboy, right? They can rope and ride and fix fences and figure out what's going on by themselves without a lot of help. That's a great first hire. But they also need to have done it without any support in, an, in a startup or a very small selling environment. They need to understand the kind of sale that you are having and what their role in it is. So hiring the right person to start with and never, 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 never tell them they're going to be the CRO. They might oh. like that, but chances <laughs> are you're going to hire somebody else who knows how to be a CRO. So the first thing I have to do in many cases is hire somebody over the person they told to be a CRO. And the minute you do that, whoever's below them, they, they got a short, they're gone. So, so this CRO deal, when did this, when did you start seeing it? Like the founders say, you know what? I want a chief revenue officer because whoever has that title, they're going to magically make things scale for me. So the, there's a lot of discussion among my friends that are consultants about the CRO position. And one is that it almost always comes out of sales instead of out of marketing. The, 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 it's the same thing we used to have years ago as the VP of sales and marketing, right? Years ago, that was the title. And then somewhere, I don't know, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everybody had a C title, right? Everybody was C-suite. And then in this whole over titling people, right? Because you have three people. I'm the CEO of my company. I have one person. Woo, that's great. But it doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. So so the whole idea of the CRO comes out of this idea that everybody, you have to have this many people in the C-suite. Um, a CRO is a very unique person and they have to understand both sales and marketing and how the two, not just align, but, but cooperate to make things happen. And if you have somebody that only has experience in sales, you're going to have a problem. And if you have somebody who only has experience in marketing, you're going to have a problem. You need to find somebody who understands the alignment and the, the cooperation of the two. So it's, it's a, it, 
tricky thing because if you come out of marketing, you're like, those CRO should come out of marketing. And if you're come out of sales, the CRO should come out of sales. Well, the answer I think is yes, because if, if you have the two different budgets, then you say, well, I'm going to go get these leads and give them, throw them over the wall to salespeople. Salespeople, hey, say, hey, man, marketing sucks. These are horrible. <laughs> throw them back. You got one but same budget, you know, hopefully. But Liz, have you seen it where you go into a situation, the founder says, I'm going to get the CRO, you get the CRO in. They don't last very long, right? What I've seen, year and a half, if you're lucky, what do you, what happens when they say, you know what, this person's got to go because they didn't get the experience they thought they were going to get, or they didn't know what they were going to get? Well, a whole bunch of things happen. So the first thing is the CRO comes in and thinks that they can make magic happen. And then they have the, the anti-sales departments, right? Everybody who stands in the way of making sales happen, particularly the CEO, the founder who doesn't understand why they're in the way. And founders who say things like, why are my people never in the office? Well, because if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're out in the field if they're, <laughs> if they're account executives, right? Or, or they say things like, there's so much stuff in the funnel. I'm not putting anything new in the top. Well, everything in the funnel is garbage because nobody's really, because they're afraid to take it out because you'll get mad. And you don't understand that for everything that goes in the top, you know, for every 10 things that goes in the top, one thing comes out the bottom and it's supposed to be a funnel. It's not a pipeline. And that's why you're confused and think your salespeople aren't, don't have a high enough close ratio. Or they um, focus on the end. What's closing today? What's closing tomorrow? What's closing next week? That's all I care about. That's all I care about. That's all that matters. Well, that kind of mentality is a sure sign that your company is going to be short-sighted and not have the revenue you need in six months or nine months or a year. So it's, it, it's because they don't, uh, often the founders don't understand, so they interfere in the wrong ways with what the CRO is doing. The other thing is that the CRO comes in and they have never done it before. They don't know how to do it. So this is a learning experience and building a sales organization is very different than running one. So they might leave because they're the kind of people that like to build it and go and want to go build somebody else's, or they didn't know how to build it. But often the person who runs something that works and somebody who builds something from scratch are two different kinds of people. So those are some of the things that get in the way. And I would imagine that the founders using Excel and he's, you know, sharing uh, Excel sheets with uh, whoever he has, to, you know, do, doing the sales. How do you incorporate you know, Salesforce, I would imagine Salesforce is the go-to or how, how do you get them to organize it to get that stuff up in the cloud? So I actually don't think Salesforce is the first go-to. I think okay. people should take the time to use something simpler until they really understand how the sales process works. Don't put Salesforce in place. It costs a lot of money to use Salesforce. Be ready for it to be effective. I have clients, they've spent $200,000 implementing Salesforce and they now have to start over because they didn't understand what they were doing when they started. And they have all kinds of problems that may or may not be able to be solved. Um, so start with something simple, pipe drive, pipeline or pipe drive, copper, yeah. it doesn't matter. Pick something simple and, and map out your sales process and see how that works. If stuff is flowing through the funnel the way it's supposed to be, wide at the bottom and narrow, wide at the top and narrow at the bottom, then you've got something. If you've got big places where tons of stuff is just sitting, then you've got a problem that you need to look at why your sales process isn't working. So start simple. And actually, if you set a, a spreadsheet up, 
well enough, you could actually use it for a time. Uh, and I, anybody who wants it, I have a really simple spreadsheet that I've set up that you can move stuff from stage to stage. It's, it's really simple. I'll send it over. I uh, want if you guys it. want it, go, go to my, um, just ask me on LinkedIn and I'll send okay. it to you. Just tell me where you found it and I'll send it to you. So it is possible up to a point to you to manage it. So here's the other problem that gets in the way is they want to start at qualified the ED, right? I don't yeah. want to see anything until we're sure that's not how a sales funnel works. I need all the prospecting ideas in there too. And when we set up the CRMs, there's no place for that. So it's not getting tracked. It's not getting measured. The only thing that's getting measured is marketing leads, but no sales leads. And they have no place to keep that. So it's this hidden thing. And so we're not really watching things flow through the funnel. We don't really understand how long it takes from idea to, to close. So we, we set up the CRM and make a mess of it. So bridge the gap on Excel to whatever you use for the CRM. What is the point that you say, you know what, I'm going to go to whatever the SAS is. When, when I want more information as a leader. So I want to be able to see what's going on. Um, I need, you know, I have more than two or three salespeople. I need to start understanding what's happening and putting it all into one, uh, one place where I have dashboards. The other is, um, when there are a lot of buyers involved and there's a lot of information that needs to be managed, it's really hard to keep it all in a spreadsheet. And you can move up to something like a smart sheet where you could have, you know, notes and all kinds of stuff attached to it. But at some point, if you're selling to a lot of different, if each sale has a lot of different buyers, you can't really track all of that on a spreadsheet. So you end up going here and there and everywhere and it doesn't work. And thus a CRM to help um, find all those addresses and attach all those people to the right opportunities. So you're making sure you're talking to everybody and it's easy. Do you get a marketing person first or, or no? When you start to get yes. to that level. Okay. It depends. So, so people don't understand. A lot of people don't really understand the difference between sales and marketing. So marketing is this effort to bring leads in, right? I'm going to reach out to the world and, and have some conversations and see if I can engage people and get the right people over to us. The problem is, as John, when he started talking about fishing with spears instead, he came from Marketo. I can't remember his yeah. name. John Miller. When John yeah. Miller came from Marquette, was working at Marketo, he's like, okay, we're fishing with nets. We're throwing out all this, this net and we're pulling in old boots and dolphins and all kinds mm -hmm. of things that we don't want in here. So let's start, let's start fishing with spears. If we want halibut, let's go after the halibut, right? Um, and so the idea that you then get your marketing and your sales team working together, go after very specific accounts, that can be very effective, but you can also just have your sales team do it. Look, we need to get these 10 accounts. So if it's really early, Use your sales team to go after very specific accounts. Um, marketing is expensive. Lead gen is expensive. So I don't go, you know, hire a marketing person to help your sales team in the start, but just hoping that, you know, mar hiring marketing and magically you're going to have a whole bunch of leads. It takes six, eight, nine months, 10 months a year to build out a marketing machine. So it sounds like these founders need a strategic plan. What, uh, what do you think gets le left out of it when they try to do it? So I don't know that what's necessarily left out, but what's not focused on. So I stopped okay. talking to founders about strategic plans because it makes them really nervous and they think it's this huge thing that they're never going to use. And I talk about a sales positioning framework, 
right? So this is very, it's some of the same things. You've got to know what your vision is. What is it you're trying to accomplish? You've got to have values that everybody understands and they use to make decisions. And you, you, you need a mission. Why do we exist? Okay. And I do it in that order specifically it for a lot of reasons after years and years of doing strategic plans. The next thing that your sales team needs is to know who your ideal customer is, right? If what, what, happens when salespeople don't know and they don't have a list to pursue is they cherry pick what's the easiest thing whether or not it's a good fit if i can close it i can close it and let the company deal with it, the problems of it not being an ideal customer right the second thing is again you're positioning in the marketplace so if you don't understand where you fit who who should be the the, the position, positioning is like the when when this happens we're the guys that can come in and fix it. We'll be your heroes, right? And, and the last is a value proposition. What problem do you have? How do you solve it? How do we solve it? And why are we the best solution for our ideal customer? If you can get those things in place, that, that will take you a long way in getting started. I think one of the biggest things they have to figure out is what are the differentiators? How are we different? But and the, communicating the, the that. Yeah. You're absolutely right. But they get really focused on the differentiators in terms of features and benefits. We want to go beyond that. So first I need to, what problem am I solving at a at a hospital versus a university versus a company? What problem am I solving in the technology department in the you with the users for the CEO? What problem am I solving? Now when I really understand their problem, how they talk about it, now I can differentiate myself with features or benefits because it's tied specifically to what's unique about their problem. So if we just start going, Oh, well, we'll save you money. My favorite line from founders is it's a no win. It's a no, no brainer. Win, win. I'm going to save them money. So what? So don't ever say that. Just don't say it because it has nothing to do with me until I say to you, I got to figure out how to do this saving and do it for less money. But what if I'm more worried about doing it better? What if I'm more worried about, I'm not really worried about the process. I'm worried about product. If I'm not worried about saving money in that particular area, we have nothing to talk about. You've got to really understand what problem I have and whether or not you can solve it. So Liz, what does make a kick-ass sales strategy? Yeah, so kick-ass sales strategies start with the key things that I just talked about. And so if you have a last year build-on, then it's taking everything you learned from last year and putting it into this year's plan. Okay, what, what worked, what didn't? Who are our existing clients? How can we grow them? Hey, you guys, you've got to grow your existing clients. We are leaving millions of dollars on the table with clients who could be growing. Easiest money there is. Build that into your plan. How are you growing existing clients? How are you not losing money out the back door because you're so focused on new logos? The second thing is to really understand who are the people that I have and what can they do? And if I don't have the right people, how am I going to add the right people to get done what I want to do? So your kick-ass sales strategy is the other critical piece is what's going on in the marketplace. What's going on out in the world that I can leverage? So the companies that were really successful in COVID changed their focus and the ones that floundered weren't able to understand how to change their strategy and their story to fit the new situation. So that's what builds a kick-ass sales strategy. 
Liz, is it true that buyers are more knowledgeable than ever before, that they they pretty much are 70% of the way there? They just need to confirm with three competitors to see who they want to work with. I've been hearing that a lot. Is that true, yes or no, or is it a myth? Yes and no. So if I have a completely um, inbound process for marketing, that's what I do is inbound. That means people who have already identified the problem and are looking for a solution are coming to me. So yes, they're 70% of the way through the process. Now, if I have a new product they don't know about and they don't even know that there's a solution to a problem, your clients have not even begun to think about what the technology is and what the options are. If it's a new technology, a new way to solve something, they don't. And we also are, when we say this, when we talk about a buyer. If I am talking about a simple sale, meaning I'm selling to one buyer in a relatively small organization, sure. Okay, they may have already done the research, whatever. But if I'm talking to the CEO, the COO, the tech, technology people, the IT people, and the, the people who are going to use and manage the product and procurement and legal, guess what? Only a handful of those people have any idea what you're talking about. And one of the biggest mistakes that companies are making is assuming that all buyers are the same. You have a whole bunch of buyers in that buying process that have no idea what you're talking about. And so I'm working with companies who use this really technical language because, of course, their buyers are 70% of the way through the process. They already know all this stuff. Like, no. And, and I'll tell you another thing that kind of drives me crazy. Did I mention that I have strong opinions? Liz, uh, what drives you crazy? What drives me crazy is this idea that you build everything on your website to your ideal persona. Who's the ideal persona? That's the person that's going out to the website looking for stuff. Is that your CEO? No. Is that your CFO? No. Is that anybody with any real authority in the organization? Probably not. It's the person who was sent out to go research this stuff. And we are doing all of our content around that person. We need content that talks to all of the different kinds of buyers, each in their own language, if we want to make it easier for salespeople to sell. Liz, you grew up in the sales business. Besides your dad and his partner, who are some of the gurus that you uh, grew up with and said, hey, man, I got to follow this? I don't know, Zig, Brian Tracy, whatever. What what, what did you, uh, what get, throw out a couple of authors or competitors. But solution selling was really good stuff. Right? Yeah. It was the same kind of stuff that we were doing and it was really good stuff. Um, later, as I started um, learning more, uh, programs like Target Market, Target, Target Marketing, I forget what they called it. Um, yeah. That was a really good program. It was really well designed. Um, and, you know, you can't talk about sales without talking about Zig Ziglar, right? Because he set the foundations for even the stuff that my dad talked about. People yeah. buy from people they like, know, and trust. People, you know, be kind to people, build relationships with people. And I don't care who you are. If you think the relationship selling is dead, you're mistaken. People still buy from people they like, know, and trust. Or else they have a stomachache the whole time they're buying. They're in a panic. They're uncomfortable. And they're never going to buy from you again if they can help it, right? People buy from people they like, know, and trust. That's not dead. Relationships are not dead. You cannot grow an account without a whole bunch of really good relationships. So whoever came up with that idea, it's, it isn't true. Don't talk about it anymore. 
Um, I don't know, but there's a lot of really, there's a lot of really good stuff happening right now for, for sellers. Like if you want to read a really good book, that's simple and you've never sold before and you want to understand Keenan's gap selling is, is idiot proof, right? It's so simple. And I like it. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, it, it's not the complete story, but it's a really good starting place. Um, but there's all kinds of great yeah. books around right now. Well, it's, you know, in, in the earlier days, I mean, we have people that are just getting, in, you know, checking out sales for the first time because they couldn't get a job in the, whatever they studied in college. So now they're getting into sales. Used to be you would pop in a cassette tape or a CD and you go from call to call listening, you know, getting fired up, going to the next call. Now it's like, I don't know if people are, if they're working from home or do they take 10 minutes and listen to a guru and then they make the next call. I'm not sure what the what the routine is, but it's, look, sales, as you know, is a mind game. <laughs> it's psychology. It's, you know, who the worst people are for killing that mind game sales yeah. managers, right? So, and, and CEOs who are only interested in what's closing right now, what's closing right now, what's closing right now, what's closing right now, not, Hey, good job getting that moving forward. Hey, great job getting us that meeting. I never thought we'd get the meeting with that person. Hey, thanks for, you know, doing this work or, Hey, I see your stuff. What can I do to help? That is not what's happening in a lot of companies. So if you've got good sales leaders, good sales managers that understand this, that's happening. But most people are leaving their sales job because their manager's a jerk. Stop hiring jerky sales managers. Just don't do it. Hire nice people who care about their sales reps. And, and, and again, they're so worried about prizes and incentives. Just say thank you. Just help them accomplish. I'd much rather make more money than get a prize, right? Help me make the money I need to make. Support me in the sales process. Don't undermine me. Liz, isn't that because the founder promoted their best salesperson to a sales manager? <laughs> yeah. And the idea that you can't be a good sales manager if you've not been a great seller. And they're two totally different skill sets. And in fact, a lot of really great sellers who were top of the, you know, they were the top sellers and they become managers, go back to being individual contributors because they're not making any money as a sales manager and they don't like it. Yeah. They want to be out talking to people. So understanding that there's some really great programs that can help you understand what, you know, do assessments to help you understand what should your sales manager do and be what qualifications they need to have. Um, so don't you make a mistake. Yeah. You, wait, you brought up assessments. Are you an assessment believer? I, I to some extent, yeah, everybody says me either. Include assessment <laughs> in my, my program, but, but I do think that there's some value. If you don't know how to hire, which most people don't know how to hire salespeople and they get bamboozled right? Because they think the person that has the great person, I've literally had a conversation with, an, with a COO and I'm like, don't hire. I can't actually, I've had this several times. Don't hire that person. No, he's great. Listen to him. He can talk to anybody. Don't hire him. Then six months later, we got to fire this guy. Yes, I know. You shouldn't hire him, right? They have so their script down. 
Well, because you sound like a great, exciting, dynamic person. You must know how to sell. And I'm sitting here trying to ask questions like, okay, when you go to a trade show, what do you do? How do you prepare before? How do you prepare after? Okay, when your funnel starts drying up, what do you do to start filling the top of your funnel? And he's like, I don't want to hear those quick answers. That's not interesting to me. He's great. Just hire him. Like, yeah, we've got to know how people know how to, we have to know that they know how to do what they're doing. Let's, let's, let's talk differentiation. What are some of the key, you got a sales manager that whatever reason they're in the job, what, what are the metrics that they should be looking at on their sales teams to figure out who's better than who you get? You have three people who's one, two, and three besides looking at stack ranks. Yeah. So and I, I, I don't know that it matters. What matters is upping the game for everybody right? If I have number one and I'm really focused on what they want, that's, that's fine. What if I up, up the game for everybody in the team? And how do we up the game? One is we stop looking at stupid KPIs. I don't care. I literally had a conversation with a woman the other day. She's like, I sell more than anybody else on my team. I've hit my numbers every single time. And I'm in, and I work through referrals. All of my business comes through referrals and I'm in trouble every single day because I didn't make enough calls. That's stupid. Somebody decided the KPIs were more important than the results. KPIs are supposed to be leading indicators, right? So if I want to understand whether or not my salesperson is going to have the revenue that they need to have at the end of the year or in six months or whenever it is, I need to base the KPIs around the concept of a funnel. So we go back to this idea, 10 things go in the top for every one thing that comes out the bottom. If my sales cycle is six months long, and if one thing has come out the bottom and 10 things haven't gone in the top, guess what I know? In six months, they're not going to hit their revenue goal. I know that just by looking at it, right? So if I understand, if I take the time to understand, here's the ratios that should be happening both in number and in dollar values. Here's the percent that should be falling out. Here's the qualifiers that qualify things out. Here's the velocity that different kinds of sales go through. So if it's, you know, depending upon what industry or where it came from or how large the sale is, we may, we should begin to understand the, what's the velocity and we should be able to measure using that, how many things have moved down into qualified. Do I have a funnel shaped the right way with the right numbers in it to get the numbers at the end of the year? And then if I don't, if I'm not doing those things, if my close dates are always wrong, if my stage is always wrong, it means I have no idea what's going on in my world. If I don't have next actions, it means I'm not following up, right? So if I use that funnel in the CRM to build the KPIs that really matter, I'll be able to predict revenue and I'll be able to help my salespeople. I'll know where they get stuck. You get stuck here every single time. Let's talk about this. Liz, that scenario that you just gave about that salesperson that is always in trouble as the company progresses, don't they just hire a business development rep and then throw them in there to irritate the market? Sometimes, and it just depends. So in the world of SaaS, we really like to have SDRs and BDRs and people who talk to the clients before the sales rep does. And and I can tell you that somebody who gets called all the time by SaaS companies, nothing pisses me off more than having a nice conversation with somebody and then ending up on the phone with somebody else who I don't know and wants to ask all the questions over again. So um, if you're going to do that, you've got to build that process really well. The notes have to be really good. And the salesperson has to take the time to read it before they get on the phone with the client. Um, 
you can, if you decide that you don't want your sales team focused on uh, the top of the funnel, then you need to make sure that your marketing and your BDRs and SDRs are qualifying out business the way they should be. So what we focus on is demos, demos, demos. Did I get a demo? Did I get a demo? Let me ask you a question, Pete. If yes. somebody calls you and says, can I do a demo? What's your answer? Click. Don't, no, I am not doing a demo. I am the wrong person to talk to about a demo. I don't want to see a demo. I don't want to talk about demos. Tell me how this works really quickly and does it solve my problem? So the idea that we've built an entire industry around demos means that we're talking to low-level buyers who are 90% of the way through the process. And that's why they want to see a demo because they're ready to make a decision. That means you're not talking to people early enough in the sales process and you're not talking to the right people. So when somebody calls me and says, can I do a demo? No. You call a CEO and ask to do a demo? No. COO? No. CFO? No. At what point is somebody willing to see a demo? So we have to understand what these processes that we've set up really mean. And so this is this takes me to the next thing that makes me crazy, right? Here's yeah. how we have designed based on SaaS single seller, single buyer solution sales process, right? Set appointment, demo, proposal, close, one or loss, right? There's our process. Guess where 60% of your revenue of your your leads are sitting? Proposal. Where? Because Really early on, we set a we sent them a proposal and we left it there. We sent a proposal to somebody who didn't have buying decision. We sent a proposal to whoever, somebody who was really early in the process, just asking a question. Our sales process has nothing to do with the buyer's buying process. And we've created a past tense based stages system. And now we can't figure out why we can't manage things through the funnel and nobody knows where to put things. Because for instance, we're assuming demo that there's one demo. If you have a complex sale and you only did one demo, you did it wrong because that means you didn't ever bring in all the user buyers to see whether they were going to use it or not, right? So we have created a process that makes it impossible to figure out what's really going on with our leads. Doesn't it just magically happen all of a sudden that they're hundred percent on their win rate because they just entered it in and they closed it? Yeah, that's right. That, and and that is one of the biggest problems is if we're not if we're not supporting them in losing a certain percentage of leads, our salespeople aren't going to put them in, right? Yeah. But but if it comes in through the CRM, here's the other problem: is we're just assuming the salespeople are going to follow up on it, but they look at it and they're like, "This isn't a lead. This is garbage." And they've got so much junk coming in, they can't even keep up with it to find the stuff that's worth following up on. So. It's really important that we understand the stages, how they really work, how the customer buys. That buyer journey is really important. And build our sales process around the buyer journey so that we are measuring the right things along the way um, and so that we know when people are really going to make decisions and whether they're going to buy from us or not. You got an opinion on cadence calls? Liars poker? Everybody get together and lie? Yeah, I... No, <laughs> why would we even do this, right? So part, this is another another um, what, another discussion, a completely other discussion about what should meetings be, right? So we have these sales meetings and we have, we'll call them cadence calls or call them 
you know, whatever you want, everybody's sitting in the room and we're all talking about everybody's funnel. And what are 90% of the people in the room doing? Nothing, wasting their time, right? So what should happen in a sales meeting if you really wanna know what's going on? You've already had your funnel reviews every single week with every single person on your team so you know what's going on. And then you can say, okay, here's where we are short number. Here's what I think the problem is. Here's the training we're gonna do right now to solve that problem. Hey, we've got some big leads that need help. Let's do some strategies around them. But instead we do these stupid calls where everybody's, like you said, lying, making things up, yeah. sitting around being bored, trying to justify what's in their funnel. I don't know, I, you know, we gotta uh, start focusing on helping our salespeople meetings so you go into a company first of all companies got to be gutsy to bring you in because sometimes people are nervous because you have a cro that would bring you in well why are they bringing you in the cro should know everything but you know they <laughs> they bring you in what are your thoughts on sales trainers should that be a burnt out sales rep should there <laughs> Like what kind of person should be a sales trainer? Because you go in, first of all, you, you got to sell the founder. Then once you sell the founder or whoever the, the, the main boss is, whoever has the budget, then the effect of what you do depends on that leader or sales manager that's there. They have to have the, you, their, their buy-in because if you don't have their buy-in or they don't do it, then it just falls apart and you don't get a referral out of it. How, what yeah, is the, so, yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, CROs often don't bring in help like me yeah. because I, I, I am a little intimidating sometimes. I have to admit it. Yeah. I've been told many times, but um, it's often the COO that calls me, right? And the COO is the one that says things just are not working and we need better support for our sales team and we need better processes. And because they're the ones that are thinking about process, the COO sales is chaos. I can't handle it. Can come in and help me. Um, I wish CROs were more quick to get help. I wish they would come and say, hey, this isn't working. I've never set up a sales team before. Thought I knew how to do it. I don't. I need I need some help fixing this. And, and, and to be able to let go and say, it's okay to fix it. I know it isn't perfect. Um, uh, so yeah, it does take a lot of courage to call somebody in. It, it really does to say, hey, this isn't working. Will you help me? And, and, and often when they call, they think they need training. The problem must be with my sales team not having the skills they need to have. And that may or may not be true. But if you don't have the right systems and processes and messaging and all that's put in place, your sales team is going to flounder. So I was at a meeting and I wish I could remember who said it. I was at Sales 2.0 with Gerhard Schwatner. And I don't remember who said it, but somebody got up and said, he had a meeting with a client and the client said, okay, I want you to fire my entire sales team and hire all new ones. And the guy looked at him and said, and then what do you want me to do next time? And he said, what? He goes, the next time you want me to fire your whole sales team because they're not working, right? If your whole sales team is failing or everybody but one person is failing, it is not the seller's fault. Either you've hired the wrong people for the wrong job or you haven't set up the systems and processes and language and all of the tools that they need to be successful. So if you're looking around and going, my sales team sucks, forgive my French, which a lot of people say. A lot of French on this podcast, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not them that's the problem, it's you. 
And so then you have to look at it. That it's not that I'm wrong or bad. It's just that I need help setting up a sales organization because I've never done it before. And training, you asked me about training. There are lots yeah. of really good training. I don't train unless I create a sales process with somebody and we teach the sales team how to use it. I'm not a trainer. I don't teach methodology anymore. I taught Miller Hyman for years. I don't. Yeah. Is training bad? Depends on how bad the trainer is. Most training, if you've got a really good trainer and it's good content, it's really helpful for the sales people. Here's what happens though. Oh, we're going to do this training this weekend. Oh, that didn't work. Let's do another training. Let's change something else. Let's try another thing. Let's try something else, right? And your salespeople are, I'm going to wait around until they figure out what they really want to do. Because I can't do all these things. So pick something and consistently support it. And, and if the team is not doing part of it, bring someone to coach them around that or to, to refresh around that. But don't just keep picking something new. Stick with something. Whatever you decide your methodology is going to be, stick with it and keep supporting it. Does a sales trainer have to have been good at sales at one point? I was a sales trainer for years and I had never actually officially sold when I first started training. But I grew up in it and I live it and it's the language I grew up with. So I did understand what people were doing. I understood what was happening on the other side. If you bring in a sales trainer who's never sold. So a lot of times you get this um, sales enablement team together and there's marketing and all these people and they want to go right. in and train sales. And if they don't understand what's happening on the other side of that sale, if they've never seen it or touched it or been there, they're saying stupid things. So if you have a sales environment, if you have a sales training where you're using the wisdom of the group and talking to them about the pains they're experiencing and having them help you solve it, that's a really good kind of training. So that's the way Miller Hyman was built. Anybody could use the same programs. Because we just put forth the concept and then worked with you on how it was it was functioning, how you were working with that problem and how you were going to solve it, as opposed to coming in and saying, here's your problem, here's how you solve it, just do this. That doesn't work, it will never work because every selling situation is different. So now I have to say, okay, so here's a concept, how does that apply in your world? How can you use it? That kind of selling sales training tends to be really effective. Um, going in and telling people what they should do when it doesn't have anything to do with their world is not effective. And I've gotten those calls. We had a trainer and he was really expensive. He didn't talk about anything we needed to do. Can you help us design something that actually works for us? I think that there's a couple of really important things. Your system, your process, your parameters matter. They aren't arbitrary. They aren't something that comes up later. They're the things that you scale around. Um, the second thing is, Make sure that your CRM is set up to measure the process that the sale that the buyer is actually going through, that it's that your selling process and your buying process are in alignment, and you're actually measuring progress through the sale, not activities that could happen multiple times in different places, but actually how is the buyer progressing through this buying decision? You may start and end up right at close because they're ready to make a decision right now. You know, where are, where's the buyer? So we're, we're flowing through the process in a way that is measurable and shows progress. And I think the third thing is as a sales manager, as a sales leader, as a CEO, my job is to support my sales team. It is not to yell at them, is not to harass them or harangue them, is not to, to uh, nag at them. It is to figure out what they need to be successful and help them get that. Liz Hyman, thank you so much for coming on the Sassholes podcast today. 
I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. Well, you haven't seen the editing yet. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Winalytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to demandfarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brett Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at Winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at Winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to Patreon.com slash Sassholes.